Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, as Brian said, my name is Josh, and for those of you who don't know me, uh, I am uh, a church planting apprentice here at the church, uh, joined on staff in uh, June, um, looking to plant a church in downtown Muncie. So uh, that is me, and uh, I'm delighted to be here this morning. This is Uh, One of my favorite things to do is to speak to this congregation. So, we're going to continue in 1 Peter this morning. We're going to continue in our sermon series uh, on 1 Peter. And uh, as I was thinking about this text and uh, thinking this week, I was thinking a lot about how social media is a very powerful thing. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, these types of things. Uh, It's something that I have a love-hate relationship with because it so easily distracts me and gives me uh, uh, an outlet for my narcissistic sin tendencies, wondering if someone's going to like my post, which is pretty easy if you post pictures of your adorable kids, so that's what I do. But after that, I repent of my selfishness and my idol of self, and I re-engage Because it's the language that much of our culture speaks with, and it's incredibly powerful. For instance, Twitter, one of the uh, social media platforms, allows you to look at things called trends, which catalogs the most popular things that are being talked about in our culture, in our nation. It's incredible. in, In a second, I can have access to what most people are talking about in our culture. Now, oftentimes, it's really silly things that have begun to trend and things that I don't quite understand at all. But at other times, it's really important issues. Over the last month, most of the, some of the most popular trends have been Ferguson, Mike Brown, Darren Wilson, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Black Lives Matter, and I Can't Breathe. And this has coincided with protests in almost every major city in our country and actually throughout the world. This is a picture of a protest in Paris over these incidents. And then this is actually a picture of yesterday in New York City where thousands marched in the streets of New York City. Protesters shutting down highways, hosting die-ins, and calling attention to issues of race, justice, and use of force by police. And if you've watched the news at all in the last few weeks, you know that people have very strong opinions on all sides of this issue. And some of you here today have very strong opinions on this issue. And some of you want it to all go away. Well, it seems clear from all of these things that it's not going away anytime soon. Our world seems to be looking into the incidents that took place in Ferguson Missouri, and in New York City in particular, and others like it, and wondering what's happening and where can hope be found. This picture uh, was taken by freelance photographer Johnny Gwynn and has become somewhat of a symbol of both the pain and the potential for hope that exists within this seemingly fragile situation that we find ourselves in as a nation. The picture features a 12-year-old boy that was protesting the events of Ferguson in Portland, Oregon, and he was walking around and he was holding a sign that said free hugs. 
and he engaged in a conversation with one of the police officers and had a, had a really good conversation. They talked for a while. And as he was leaving to rejoin the protest, the uh, police officer said, hey, can I get one of those? And that's when Johnny snapped this picture. And in commenting on it, he said, I think deep down that's how every human being wants it to be. That's what people want to see. Right now, people are broken and hurting and asking, where is hope? And it's not just in situations like this. If we really dig in with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, and even in our own lives, we see that people are broken and hurting. We find that our world is broken. It's marred by sin. And people want to know where hope can be found. Which means we as the church need to know how to effectively hold out the hope of the gospel to them. Especially as our culture becomes increasingly hostile to biblical Christianity. So as we've been looking through this sermon series focused on hope, walking in hope, we've seen exactly where this hope comes from. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our world is broken and we have broken it by our sin. And we are dead in our sin until God, by His mercy, grants us new life through Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead. The gospel is the hope for the world. And God has invited and commanded the church to hold out this hope of the gospel to a broken world. So this morning we're going to continue in 1 Peter, looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-17. through 17 on how we can hold out this hope of the gospel to a broken world. So if you'll turn there in your Bibles and stand with me as we read together this in reverence for God's Word. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen behind me as well. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Pray with me. Father God, bless the preaching of your word now. Lord, send your spirit among us that you would transform our hearts and our lives 
to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And would you speak to us here this morning, Lord? We long to hear from you and from your word. So would you speak to us this morning for the sake of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning I want to show how this passage instructs us on how we are to hold out the hope of the gospel in a culture that's increasingly hostile to Christianity, and yet at the very same time in a culture that's broken and hurting and in need of hope. The church has an incredible opportunity in this if we heed the words of Peter so that we may, as he says in verse 15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now this assumes a few things. First of all, it assumes that you have the living hope of the gospel in you. And secondly, that you're living in such a distinct way that people are asking about it. That they're asking because they see that you're hoping in something different than they are, and it causes you to live in a way that's different than they live. There's something unique to your life. So in order for this question to be asked of us, so that we can witness well to the hope of the gospel, Peter here would say that we must suffer well. And in order for us to suffer well, we must love well. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. In order to answer the question, how can we hold out the hope of the gospel to a broken world? We're going to look at how we must love well, and then how we must suffer well, and finally, then, we'll be in a position to witness well. So first, how do we love well? By living out the hope of the gospel. Peter starts in verse 8 by calling the church. He says, all of you, in verse 8, right? He has just been addressing servants, men, or husbands and wives. So he's been addressing individual groups. And now he addresses the whole church and says, all of you. In verse 8, and he addresses us with five attitudes that must be lived out within the context of the church. The first of these is unity of mind. This is a like-mindedness. And it's the reason that the church can be the place that unites people from every different background, ethnicity, culture, and political opinion. Because we are called to have unity of mind. Now, not unity of mind on everything, but unity of mind on the most important things. We're in a major on the major things. The gospel. This is a call to have one mind about the most important reality of our lives. That Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming back again for his own. This is foundational for us to have any sort of unity that Peter would call us to in these next few verses. Karen Jobes, in her commentary on this, says, The quality of like-mindedness implies a willingness to conform one's goals, needs, and expectations to the purposes of the larger community. And that purpose is holding out the hope of the gospel. Well, it goes a little bit deeper and goes to sympathy. Peter goes to sympathy. Which means that not only do we understand one another and have this likeness of mind, but that we feel what others feel. This is sympathy. Feeling what others feel. Romans 12, 
Well, that got messed up there. Huh. All right. Well, that's okay. You can still read it, right? <laughs> Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Well, we can't read that one. That's okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This means that we're willing to penetrate beyond superficial relationships and our disagreements about whatever issue or whatever thing that we're talking about into the level of feelings to understand where a person is coming from and to put yourself in their place and to feel what they feel. This is sympathy. Now, if that wasn't difficult enough, he penetrates even further and says we're to be characterized by brotherly love and a tender heart or compassion. Now, these two go together because both of these words in the first century would have been spoken only about relationships within the family. So Peter here is declaring in midst of the culture at large, this, the church, is your family. That means that your primary allegiance is not to your culture, your nation, your political party, your job, or even your family by flesh and blood. Now, it's not to say that those things are unimportant. Those are all very important things. But it is to say that they are secondary when it comes to your allegiance. That your primary allegiance is to God and to His people, the church. Talk about countercultural values. It means that we should live as Paul calls us to in Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Yeah, that one's messed up too. I'm having a struggle with technology today. I opened my iPad to preach this morning and my sermon was gone. It's like, oh no, <laughs> I had to run home. Uh, it's a good thing I got here early. <laughs> uh, but Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This requires sacrifice. The laying down of one's preferences for the sake of another. And all of it results in humility. A humble mind. All of these attitudes are really only possible with humility and they all result in humility, a preferencing of one another. We don't need to defend ourselves, but we can be humble because of Jesus and what he has done for us. Now here's the crazy thing about all of this. This is to be lived out in the church. The church, which is the most diverse institution on the planet. It's easy to live this out if everyone thinks the same, acts the same, lives the same, is the same. That makes it easier. It's really hard to live it out when we have differences, differences of opinion. This is to play out among those who come from totally different backgrounds. Socioeconomic classes, jobs, life stages, ethnicities, political parties, nations. Within diversity. And not just that, we're all still sinners. That makes it incredibly difficult. And Peter himself struggles with this, and Paul rebukes him in Galatians, right? We have this encounter with Paul rebuking Peter because Peter's struggling to live these attitudes out himself. 
So how can they be possible? Well, they can only be possible by the hope of the Gospel being lived out in our life by the power of the Spirit. In the passage we just quoted in Philippians, that's exactly where Paul goes. He says, Jesus held these attitudes, and because of them, you're saved. He did not count His glory as something too high to lay down to suffer for you in your place. Not just feeling your pain, but enduring the pain you deserve to endure on the cross so that you don't have to. You are now securely loved and blessed in the gospel. And your heart has been transformed. You are a new creation. You are united to this Jesus who loves like this. And in light of that, you can now lay down all of your hatred towards others. All of your pride and your selfishness. All of your defensiveness and bitterness. All of your divisiveness and racism and classism and hatred. And put on love. Now I think this plays out in both a local church level and then also in the broader church as well. And I think both are incredibly important moving forward for the church today in a culture that's increasingly hostile to Christianity as we've been talking about throughout this sermon series. But first of all, this has to play out here locally. We have to here at New Life love one another in this way. Which means we have to really know each other. We have to be authentic with one another and be real and go deep so that we can truly rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We have to put others first, sacrificing our own agendas for the greater thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that we can be united about holding this hope out to our community. I also think it works beyond just our church. As our nation and our world becomes increasingly hostile to Christianity, biblical Christianity, the church, more broadly speaking, needs to become increasingly unified. Now, not just for the sake of unity, and I'm not talking about uh, minimizing theological precision and accuracy. No, I'm talking about unity in the gospel. Unity in the real gospel of Jesus Christ. And not just for the sake of unity, or not just... uh, for the sake of of, uh, being united as those against the world, but for the sake of caring for one another. Being united as those who are not of the world, but are in the world, holding out the hope of the gospel to the world. As exiles, sojourners, as Peter calls us. And this particularly, where with uh, this in mind within the broader church, is where my heart has broken the most recently. And I use this as an example here. There's many other examples that we could use in how we can do this well in uniting broadly as the church. Uh, in particular, we could, we could look at how we can unite well with the persecuted church throughout the world, which is incredibly important. But this is particular because it's relevant to, to things that are taking place in our country. With all of the events that are taking place in our nation, the church has been divided over the issue of race and justice. With Ferguson and Eric Garner and protests, I've I've witnessed a lot of black Christians expressing their pain 
either through social media or in personal conversations I've had with them. And I've seen some Christians dismiss their pain and say mean and hurtful things. Things that would not exemplify the sympathy that Peter calls us to have for brothers and sisters in Christ. Sympathy that's not based upon whether or not we believe the pain is justified, but sympathy based upon the pain being real. Now, not all have said that. There's been some really encouraging things. And I I, I do believe that some folks who have said really mean and hurtful things on social media wouldn't have said that if they were sitting down face-to-face with someone. Which may be one of the inherent deficiencies of it, but it may also be its most powerful feature. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, or the Twitter tweets. That's how it works. It exposes what's going on in our hearts. And it seems clear that regardless of moving forward, there are still issues in this nation and in the church when it comes to race, racism, injustice, and segregation. It's not codified in our laws, but it hasn't That doesn't mean that it's been completely eradicated from our hearts. And this is where I believe the church actually has to be on the forefront of reconciliation, understanding, listening, love, and repentance. Taking the attitudes that Peter has instructed us with here and living that out, especially with brothers and sisters in Christ Musical artist uh, Propaganda, one of my favorite musical artists, has spoken out about this several times and, and was actually interviewed by Relevant Magazine um, in, in, this, in connection with the way that he's spoken about this. And he was asked this, he said, uh, you and others have spoken out about the Eric Garner ruling and Ferguson and have gotten a lot of pushback. Where do you think that's coming from and how do you respond to people who say, well, How do we know that justice isn't being carried out? This is what propaganda said. He said, I think it's very hurtful. Believers, wherever you fall on opinions in a story or an issue, we're called to compassion. That's been my mantra to people. I'm saying you should be fighting to understand. Whatever you feel or don't feel about a situation, just fight to understand and know our call is to mourn with those who are mourning. The pushback I'm getting is people responding to particular facts and how to deal with facts. I can only respond to them. I'm not even arguing the facts. What I'm saying is there's a nation of people hurting, and who are you to tell them that they don't feel pain? Through the whole thing, as far as Christians are concerned, I'm looking at you and I'm going, you of all people should put your arm around a hurting person. You don't need to know why they hurt. It's incredibly powerful. And I bring this up not to accuse anyone here of racism. I've had wonderful conversations with so many of you, and it's been so good. That's not, that's not why I bring this up. Though we should humble our hearts and know that none of us are beyond any sin, including the sin of racism, apart from the magnificent, diversity-loving grace of God. So if you do feel hatred or fear or suspicion, towards those of another ethnicity, lay it down. Lay it down and find forgiveness in Christ. But I do bring it up for a couple of reasons. It really fits our text 
If culture is going to get increasingly hostile towards Christianity, and it seems that it's going that direction, we need to know how to suffer well. And in order to suffer well, we need to put on these attitudes and love well. And if we as the church are not doing that with one another, we're not going to be in a position to suffer well. Peter here calls us to these attitudes of sympathy and brotherly love. And we need to embrace them. And brothers and sisters, let's be honest about it. If I look around this morning, most of us are white. (laughs) And that's not a bad thing, and that's not what I'm saying at all. That's just the reality. And we have much to learn from our black brothers and sisters on this issue and many others. And how to suffer well. I also bring it up this morning because historically the church has not always gotten this right in our nation. Now we don't need to bear the guilt of our ancestors who used the Bible to defend slavery. But we don't need to ignore it either. We need to call it what it was. Sin. As Bob did two weeks ago when he talked about that. And we do so so that we don't repeat the same mistakes and sins in our hearts. So that we recognize our own blind spots, repent, and move forward seeking compassion and seeking the kingdom to come in righteousness and in peace. Also, I bring it up because this is one of the integral parts to our vision for planting a church in downtown Muncie that intentionally pursues being multicultural. And if that's going to work, we all need to embrace these attitudes and love one another well. So what should we do with this moving forward? Well, regardless of your views on this, and I'm not saying that this means all of us have the same uh, views of, of what happens next and how to move forward. Actually, a lot of people disagree on that, and that's good and okay. And I've had great conversations with folks that I disagree with. Pastor Bob and I had a wonderful conversation disagreeing on some things. But you know what was so great about it? We love one another, and we want the same result, we just want to go about it a different way. That's wonderful. That's what really needs to take place. Those kind of conversations within these attitudes moving forward. But I would encourage all of you to read and to listen to Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, solid, black pastors and brothers and sisters in the midst of this issue. And better yet, talk to some face-to-face. A great opportunity to learn more about this. Uh, This coming Tuesday night, there's going to be a live simulcast uh, of an event called A Time to Speak. And it's a a bunch of pastors getting together to kind of talk about how does the church move forward in the midst of this issue. Um, It's put on by a conference or a a movement called the Kainos Movement, which is a conference uh, I'll be attending in March, uh, which seeks to uh, create intentionally multicultural Uh, churches and organizations. So a lot of great folks talking about it, a lot with different opinions as well. So it should be an awesome time. Uh, I think live.kinos.is, that doesn't make any sense, but I think that's where you go. Or you can Google it (laughs) and find it. Um, But this would be a great thing to, to listen to. Dig in to these issues in our nation and community. And above all, pray. Pray for peace and pray for the church to be on the forefront of reconciliation and peace, especially in places where these things have happened. The churches are are trying to hold out the hope of the gospel to those who are hurting, and so pray for them. And help us plant a multicultural church in downtown Muncie. 
we'll be having an informational meeting, hopefully sometime in February, so attend that, and, and let's, let's do this together. And help me. I'm not speaking here as an expert by any means. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I, I just know I'm deeply uh, burdened for peace and for unity and for moving forward in these things, so help me. I need help massively, so pray for me a lot. <laughs> um, well, okay, so this is the, that, that's the first thing, these attitudes, that we have to put on these attitudes for the glory of Christ and the good of his bride. Now, these attitudes are, are lived out in very specific actions within the midst of suffering. So it helps us to answer these questions, how do we suffer well? By clinging to the hope of the gospel. So there are several actions that are seen um, in the, the next few verses here that Peter calls us to. In verse 9 he says, Do not repay evil for evil, and bless instead of curse. And in verse 11 he says, Turn away from evil and do good, and seek peace and pursue it. Now all of these are only possible if we're putting on these attitudes that we've already talked about. And combined together give us an incredible picture of not just ignoring insults and reviling that come upon you as you seek to do the right thing, as you seek to do good and pursue peace and justice and mercy and holiness in the midst of a culture that's bent in the other direction. As you pursue those things and are reviled and insults are heaped upon you, this gives us a picture of not just enduring those things, but returning good and blessing upon those who curse you. Not just enduring unjust accusations and sufferings and mocking and persecution. Not just laying down the right to defend yourself, but then blessing those who curse you. Actively seeking their good from God while they give you evil. That's difficult but powerful in holding out the hope of the gospel to a broken world. How could we possibly do that? Only by clinging to the hope of the gospel. In verses 14 and 15 of our text, Peter says that we should have no fear of them, that is those who persecute you, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is an allusion back to Isaiah chapter 8 where God has told His people, do not fear what others are fearing, do not worship what others are worshiping, but fear Me and worship Me instead. Lay down your idols and fear the One who created the universe and who loves you. And Peter here ascribes that verse to the person of Jesus Christ in a beautiful display of His divinity. And he says, lay down your idols and worship Jesus. Lay down the hopes of the world and cling to Jesus, the hope of the gospel. That means that we lay down the idol of security, of comfort, of our own rights, and of our pride to cling to something better. And that's hard, difficult, heart work. Uprooting the need to defend myself, but laying it down because Jesus is better. This also comes by knowing that this Jesus who is better will defend and vindicate his church. Verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
We already read from this passage. This is a quote from uh, Psalm 34. We read from this earlier. That the Lord is willing to listen to his people. And his face is set against those who do evil. We don't have to defend our rights or ourselves because in the end, Jesus will defend his church. This comes from us not seeing the world primarily as our enemy, but as our mission field. The place that we're called to bless and leaving the justice to God. A great example of this is Stephen, the first Christian martyr. In Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is being stoned, he prays that God would forgive those who are stoning him. Speaking to God on their behalf. He's blessing them. Do you know who's standing there? Paul. Paul is giving approval to this stoning and is later converted because God heard the prayer of Stephen as Stephen was blessing him. Stephen suffered well. Paul comes to faith and takes the gospel to the Gentiles. He holds out the hope of the gospel to countless others because of Stephen blessing him when Paul was cursing him. Now, we may not be experiencing persecution like that right now. Like our brothers and sisters throughout the globe are experiencing. But we need to prepare ourselves for the possibility of it. It's possible. Peter's readers hadn't yet experienced the, the full extent of the persecution that they would soon experience. And Peter is warning them that it could be coming. And we need to prepare ourselves for the possibility of it by blessing those who curse us now and laying down our rights for the advancement of the gospel. Well, this brings us finally to the place where we can witness well by proclaiming the hope of the gospel. Now, Peter has in mind here a very specific idea for the content of the gospel. Jesus. Content for the hope of the gospel. This is not just your general feel-good hope that's within you, but this is the rock-solid hope of Jesus based completely outside of yourself. The hope that's found in the life of Jesus on your behalf and the brutal death of Jesus on the cross for your sins and the actual physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead and his ascension into heaven and his promise to come again. This is the hope of the gospel. And this historical glorious truth is what we are to proclaim. Not watering it down or making the message easier for our culture to swallow. No, this is the hope of the gospel. And we proclaim it in the midst of suffering so that we know that the hope of the gospel is not your best life now or an easy life now. But it's the eternal joy and hope in Jesus. Proclaim that truth. But Peter adds something to it. There's a character to our proclamation. And it's that we do it with gentleness and respect. And remember, the context here is he's particularly thinking about those who persecute and revile you. So that as they are cursing you, you bless them. And then they're super confused at your actions. And they say, what are you hoping in? And you respond by proclaiming the gospel with gentleness and respect. And if we can do that in the most difficult circumstance, gentleness and respect to those who persecute you, how much more should we do that with 
the much easier conversations we have with those who don't know Jesus, who are not persecuting us. That we should apply the truth of this passage to all our conversations with those who don't know Jesus. That we treat them with gentleness and respect. We do that because they're created in the image of God. Every person is created in the image of God, and so we need to respect that. We also do it because we know that we're not the ones that transform hearts. We don't need to trick people into hearing the gospel or pressure them into accepting the gospel because the Holy Spirit transforms hearts. It's Him who puts the living hope of the gospel deep within people's hearts. So we don't have to be the Holy Spirit. We can proclaim the truth of the gospel and trust that He works along that proclamation to bring life and to transform their hearts. So we should have a hopeful dependence upon him as we proclaim the gospel. Well, Peter says that we should always be ready to act in this way. Which means, brothers and sisters, we must drink deeply from the gospel and the scriptures every day. We must plumb its depths if we are to be ready to proclaim it always. Well, this is hard. If we're to hold out the hope of the gospel to a broken world, we must witness well. And in order for us to be in a position to witness well, we must suffer well. And in order for us to be in a position to suffer well, we must love well. And that's really hard. This is cross-bearing, sacrificial, sacrificially hard. So why would we do any of it? Because we're not hoping in the things of this world, but in the world to come. Hebrews 13, verses 12 and 14 say it best. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured for here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come pray with me father god we thank you for your word we thank you for speaking to us this morning and lord would you work powerfully by your spirit in our hearts that we would be agents of grace in this world, that we would proclaim the gospel and hold out the hope of life after death to a world that's dying. Father, would you let your kingdom come here on earth? We pray this in Jesus' name.